Hi everyone, Steve Perriman here again on the Steve Perriman podcast. Uh, before I start, Kim would like to give everyone an apology watching this for the state of this room. Uh, Mark the plumber from Gloucester Spurs has worked his stuff here today magnificently and returns tomorrow to finish it off. It's a new, not a new boiler, but two boilers turned into one and so he's he's doing his stuff for us so uh, where he lives is not a million miles from here so he's thankfully doing us doing the job for us so so yeah i listened to the first podcast uh when we played wolves uh, which i think was around about boxing day certainly over christmas uh, uh and of course uh I, it reminded me that Kim and myself had been tested positive for COVID. Um, and that's bad news, of course. Um, but it was even more bad news because that meant Christmas was off for us as far as any family joining us in our new home for our first Christmas here. Thankfully, we recovered and can't say that this dreadful disease cost us too much drama health-wise. So I also mentioned on that first podcast with the Wolves game that um, for the second one, i.e. this one we're talking about now, we would talk about the two semi-finals in 81. First game at Hillsborough, second game at Highbury. And of course, these conjure up all sorts of nice memories for us. So I know that uh, Howard, so welcome, Howard, and Tom, mm -hmm. welcome to you too. I doubt if you were there, Tom, but um, I know that Howard didn't miss a game in those days with uh, his lovely wife, Viv. So, Howard, would you like to give us some of your memories, please, from those both, both those games, if you can? Thanks, Steve. Yeah, I'd love to. So tonight we're talking about some matches between us and the Wolves. Wolves had appeared in a number of semis and finals against us. We're here highlighting the semi-final of 1981. We'd been drawn against them in that year, and the match was due to be played at Hillsborough, the home of Sheffield Wednesday. We drove to Sheffield, and as we parked the car, we saw a guy who sat behind us at White Hart Lane. We never knew his name or anything about him, but for some reason he had watched a player called Brian Flynn, who was fairly diminutive, played for Leeds, and this guy would always shout, Silly little Flynn! irrespective of whether he did something wrong, or indeed, even if he wasn't playing. <laughs> we saw him as he got out of a car, and we shouted out, Silly little Flynn! <laughs> as we approached the ground, there was a terrible crash of people trying to get through locked gates. The next time Hillsborough was used for the semi-final was 1989, between Liverpool and Nottingham Forest. You will all recall the disaster that day resulting in 86 deaths, and led to the abolition of standing areas and a complete overhaul of the running of football in this country. Back to 1981. On our way to our seats into the ground, there was this terrible crash, and we all commented on the danger, but never in our wildest dreams could we have understood how prescient we were. The crash meant we were late getting to our seats, and just as we got into the stand, there was a roar. Steve Archibald had scored to give us a fifth-minute lead. The game was tough, but looked like we would hold on, 
until Wolves equalised. Then we had a free kick on the edge of the box. Glenn took it and suddenly we were 2-1 up with limited time to play. Wolves launched an attack. The referee, Clive Thomas, who had made some very strange decisions, was very well known and it was generally felt that he loved being the centre of attention. Glenn was back in his own box from where he knocked the ball to safety. We all strained for the final whistle. Instead, he blew for a foul, committed his own penalty box by Glenn. How unlikely was that? So it was a penalty to Wolves. They scored to make it two all and on into extra time. Both teams were out on their feet and it went to a replay. The replay took place at Highbury, home of Arsenal. There were clearly thousands more Spurs fans in the ground and the atmosphere was fantastic. Early on, Glenn played a delightful pass to Garth, who, who nodded it over the keeper, 1-0. Another piece of Glenn magic led to a second goal for Crooks and then Ricky Villa picked up the ball on the right wing, dribbled forward and cut inside. He then unleashed an unstoppable shot that flew in and gave Spurs a 3-0 lead and we all knew we were on our way to Wembley. We painted the stadium blue, not to mention revealing Ozzy's dream upon the world. We went on to win the gap in that fabulous match versus Man City in the final. In the following summer, Spurs made one important signing, that being the transfer of Ray Clements from Liverpool. Many of us felt that this was the final piece of the jigsaw. After a few matches where we were struggling to get things sorted, things started to look up and we were clearly going to be challenging on all fronts. This was to prove a poison chalice. It meant we had to play many more games than our rivals. This was made much worse by the weather causing many games to be postponed and building up to playing every few days in the final weeks. We were in the top few of the league all season. We got to the League Cup final, we got to the semi-final of the Cup Winners' Cup and we got to the final of the FA Cup. Those fans old enough to remember that year would talk of the side as the best team we had other than the double side. We finished the league looking exhausted and finished third. In the League Cup, we got to the final where we met Liverpool. We scored in the third minute and then held on. Early in the game, Souness injured Galvin, who struggled on for the rest of the game. We held on until the last five minutes when they equalised and they went on to win. In Europe, we met Barcelona in the semi-final. This was before Barcelona became exponents of the beautiful game. And in the first leg of the semi-final, we witnessed some of the worst fouls I've ever seen. The ref gave us very little protection and we lost 2-1 on aggregate, which left us with the FA Cup, which we won against QPR. So ended one of our greatest seasons. Would the skipper like to recall some of these moments? Yes, please, Howard. Um, so I remember the nerves in the team. Remember, we'd got relegated mid to late 70s, went down, came up again looked like something was going to happen but didn't quite happen signed Ozzy and Ricky of course that was a, a major plus and then to top it off it was the signings of uh, Archibald and Crooks that gave us the goals that any successful team needs to have and and you're talking about Garth's two goals at Highbury for instance uh, well yeah Archie scored in the first game at Hillsborough to put us a goal up early, as, as you said. and um, But the second game was Garth's game. Actually, we had a decent ref for the second game, so that helps. And we had the majority of the crowd. And if you like, you could say we, we owned Highbury that night. We owned it. 
And when you win a game in such style, and I think we were 3-0 up from about the 56th, 7th minute, and not that there was showboating, but there was there was some wonderful football played from that, you know, not all from 3-0, because the quality of Garth's goals and Ricky's goal, for instance, was, was quality. So uh, it was a chance for us to relax in a very tense situation. And, and uh, again, I've watched the, the uh, YouTube recording of the, of the game and it brought goosebumps to me. It's, it's like muscle memory the feeling that you had on that night. And, and I said about Garth's two goals and he got put through for what was looked like going to be his third goal. Yeah. Um, he, he actually did miss one 1v1 with the keeper, but he didn't miss it. The goalie saved it. But there was another one where he was clear through and Garth unselfishly passed yeah. the ball across the box to Archie. And... Do you know what? Despite the quality of football that was played that night, it was a very, very bumpy pitch. And that's the only sort of excuse I can give to Archie for missing what looked like an open goal. So well done to Garth for, for, um, for supplying the pass and not going for his own hat-trick. So uh, I always say to people about the Glenn pass for Garth's second goal. When I watch it, uh, again, I'm repeating myself, but it looks to me like the film has been speeded up. It looks like Garth is moving so quick. Well, if it was speeded up, so would the defenders be speeded up. Garth was like a, a, a racehorse bursting through the middle, gets onto it and strokes it into the net fantastic goal but what a pass from Glenn so it feels this many years later that that was a very comfortable win and of course it was in the end between one nil up and when we got our second goal I think Chrissy Hewton headed one off the line yeah, yeah. and I think George Berry who the commentator was criticising for doing something wrong with regard to Garth's first goal, um, hit the bar, tried to make amends, went forcefully for the ball, hit the bar, and we were lucky to sort of get away with it. So, so as, as a, a great win that it was, um, and that, that win put us into the 100th Cup final. I, I never realised until watching it uh, this afternoon, that I wore number five in that game and Ricky was number six. Uh, Ricky had, had got back into the first game at Hillsborough. I think he'd only, he, he got injured in the third round and he hadn't played until he played 25 minutes uh, in the game before the Hillsborough match. So for, Hill, for Ricky to get, as you said, went to extra time, for Ricky to get 90 minutes plus another 15 out of his legs on that day was, was incredible. And he was rewarded with a place in the team for the replay and he scored such a wonderful third goal that just capped it all off. So great night. I've been lucky enough to be given the 
the program from the first from the first semi-final 100th football association challenge cup competition semi-final spurs v wolves very unusual for the fa to to call us spurs you know they're very correct the way they do things but it says spurs and interestingly in the middle and of course they've got to fill up space um they talked to some big characters in the game and ask them how they think the game's going to go and I just want to let you know what this program says. It says, Jack Charlton says we'd probably get beat. Martin Peters, Bobby Moore, both went for us, maybe expectedly. Mike Bailey, ex-Wolves uh, captain, obviously went for his own team. Bobby Charlton went for us. Henry Cooper owns up to being an Arsenal fan. And despite that, wanted a London club to maybe win the cup. And of course, to win the cup, we'd have to win this game. So he was he was rooting for us. Terry Curran, I think, uh, was the flavour of Sheffield Wednesday at the time, bearing in mind it was at Hillsborough. He said us. But the great Joe Mercer, fantastic manager of, of Man City, said that he fancied the uh, Wolves to get through. All of them, to a man, said it would be it would be a, a, a competition between the strike forces and Andy Gray, John Richards, Steve Archibald and Garth Crooks. Well, in a way, in a way they were all right because it ended in a draw and yeah, it, it, it was a shootout between those players on that day. And then when we got to Highbury, I think the biggest lift we got in that replay was that when the team sheet came in that Andy Gray wasn't playing and injured I think he had a hamstring from the first game and you know not that anyone's frightened of an opponent of course you're not but you know he had such a presence and they played quite a long ball game uh you know get it to the front as quick as you can and then Richards read up read the what was going to happen next, where it was going to fall, back it up from midfield and, and sort of clear their lines as such. So that was a major, major plus that uh, Andy Gray didn't play and, and was part of the reason why we why we won the fixture and, and got to Wembley. And, and, and as you said, Howard, that led us on to the 82 team. I suppose the referee, and I don't like to name him, that gave us a replay I suppose that's more money in the coffers for both clubs but especially if you win it and then get to Wembley and by the way I suppose two fantastic uh, gates at Wembley all helps and as you quite rightly said Howard that led to us signing Ray Clements the great Ray Clements God rest his soul um, I forgot to mention that uh, quite a major selection in that first semi-final, well, for both semi-finals, was that Melia Alexic was was um, mm. was selected over Barry Danes. Barry Danes, I think, had got an injury just a few games earlier, and Keith stayed with Melia, and um, therefore played both semi-finals and the final. Um, but Ray replaced Melia and brought such uh, such experience to our defence and we've spoke long and uh, long into the night about Ray 
haven't we, Howard? So um, very professional man. And uh, I heard the other day that Aussie's getting together. Um, yeah. Uh, boys to get together. Boys get together with our wives or if, if maybe not, if you if, if, if for whatever reason they can't make it. But but we're going to have a get together um, sometime soon because we're allowed to. And just, you know, talk about the great Ray Clements and uh, I expect we'll all be talking about memories we have of him. And, and, uh, and of course, we miss him as we do all of our colleagues, but uh, Ray particularly. So, um, Tom, you've watched the semi-finals, I suppose, on YouTube, like I've done today, not necessarily today, but you've watched them over the course of time. And I am I right to say that you have won the ballot and you're going to the next Tottenham Hotspur home game? Yeah, I'll be there on Wednesday uh, at the really convenient kickoff time at six o'clock on a work day. Uh, but, um, I'm looking forward to going. I'm looking forward to getting my free uh, sausage roll or pie as well, because um, you know, God knows we've paid enough for the ticket. Sure. And do you actually sit in your own seat or are you placed where they want to place you? In terms of meeting other Spurs supporters that normally sit around you, that won't necessarily be the case, will it? Uh, no. Um, so my, my season ticket's in the in the Paxton. Um, but I've actually, you, you, you can pick where you want to sit for this, for this game. Um, oh, I see. But, so I think it's the, most of the South Stand's open and then, um, level five around the rest of the stadium is open as well. Um, but I've decided to to sit in the wall um, since I don't normally get the chance to sit there. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I picked a place um, relatively near where, where I know some of my, my friends will be sitting. But um, Oh, so you've made contact with your friends and yeah. they're going to be there and you can... Yeah, and we'll catch up beforehand and after, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, but um regards to the Wolves game... Um, I think I've mentioned on here before that I was brought up on a diet of um, of old eighties uh, and uh, well sixties, seventies, and eighties videos of um, of, of uh, the great Spurs performances when I was uh, when I was very young. So some of my earliest memories of Ricky Villiers' beard, um, yes. which uh, which always stuck out to me when I was watching uh, um, games from the early eighties in particular, and uh, yeah, the Wolves game at Highbury has always stuck out as one that I'd love to have been. Um, around for did you realize that it was Ozzy's dream to, to, go that, to, to go to Wembley uh, yeah I was gonna say I don't think it was Play to go to Highbury yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I picked that up pretty quickly through my um cultural introduction and upbringing to of, of, of Spurs at an early age so and you yeah. were musically influenced by Chaz and Dave of course absolutely yeah yeah, no one else. No one else. It was just here in Chaz and Dave that made me pick up a guitar for the first time back in uh, back in the late eighties. Fantastic. So, I think, um, according to when you're listening to this, we're doing this podcast on a Thursday night, so it probably comes out Friday morning ish. I think that is the uh, anniversary of um, is it forty years anniversary for the eighty one cup win tomorrow? It would be, yeah, yeah. So. Let's give all ourselves a pat on the back, supporters, players, everyone. Let's let's um, let's rejoice in the fact that we we won a trophy in good style. The thing the thing with having a, a team that always wins something 
when the year ends in one is that when you don't win something when the year ends in one you get all these notifications and and, and reminders of anniversaries of, of glory yes and uh yeah not not got so much of it this year but uh but it's these these last couple of podcasts with the 60 61 celebration and the and now the 81 as well have um been really really good i think yeah uh so to finish um i'd just like to tidy up a couple of things from from the last podcast uh had some fantastic messages with regard to the the bonus podcast as i called it um looking at the foibles quirks mannerisms of that famous double team so thank you for all those messages they're great and um yeah if you know people that haven't listened to it i suggest not because of me but but as per the content that these were almost secrets given away by cecil poynton god bless him as well and um it's really worth a listen. So I suggest if you if you know other Spurs people that haven't listened to it, um, that it won't be a waste of time, that's for sure. Albeit that Howard wasn't involved on that particular one. We, we left him on the sidelines again and um, I had to have a word with him about his attitude. But uh, we, we've got through that now. Um, and Mike Khan, a good uh, supporter of this podcast, um, sent me a message. The reason, Steve, you couldn't find Eddie Bailey in any of the double photos is simple. He wasn't involved. Now, I maybe suggested that, but I'd also suggested that probably Cecil was doing lots of different jobs. One of them being assistant manager because Cecil was in all the photographs of that great team. But Mike tells me Bill Nick's assistant manager in the double season was Harry Evans, who died very suddenly, age 43, in December 1962. Eddie Bailey replaced him in January 1963 as Bill Nick, Bill Nicholson's assistant manager. Also, that um, Harry Evans' daughter, Sandra, married John White. So too much tragedy in one family, eh? And John White, bearing in mind he died from on the golf course uh, from a, a thunderbolt of lightning, uh, brings it to, to our notice again with this 11-year-old lad up in Blackpool that died in similar circumstances. Okay, not on a golf course, but while training football. And, and you know, we, we all get disappointed with performances and results. And, you know, we're not gonna finish with a trophy this year, but uh, in a way, let's all, be, um, let's all be sorry for that young lad's family, albeit a Liverpool supporter, but that doesn't matter in, in, in these circumstances. But, uh, We'd like to wish them, well, how can you wish anything other than for you to, to remember your lad and um, hope that he rests in peace. So uh, sorry to, to finish on a gloomy note. Um, the next podcast is Aston Villa. And so we'll probably be doing that on Monday and out Tuesday. So not a lot of time between the podcast being out and the fixture, but um 
gives you a chance to to listen to something. It seems like we've played Aston Villa 20 times already this season, but I know we haven't. So, um, so yeah, thanks for listening. And Howard and Tom, as ever, great, uh, great work again. And up the Spurs, come on.